And welcome on this Saturday morning to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. Hello, I'm Dan DiOrio along with Ethan Wise. Two more weeks left yes. for the Green Second Thumb. Second to last show, people. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. It's 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 weird. It's, it's, it's just like it felt weird last year. It feels weird again this year that it's already here. I hope people were listening last week because you said, boy, if it starts getting to the mid-40s, you need to get all those tropicals and everything in there, and uh, it did. And uh, 40s uh, this weekend, right around 40, so it's cold. Get all that stuff inside or covered up, correct? To the best of your ability, yes. Sunday, um, last Sunday, I, I spent a good chunk of that evening and then Monday morning bringing in what I hadn't already brought in. Mm Mm-hmm. So now my house is a danger zone maze of plants left and right. <laughs> so I have a lot of work yet uh, to still do, uh, or yet to do um, with regards to figuring out my temporary uh, winter homes for mini house plants. I'm probably going to be gifting some away for Christmas, as I tend to do. Yeah. So, um, oh, hey, Steve could use some friends. That's what I'm thinking. Steve yeah. might need to need to way, have some I friends. If you look at Steve, he was really looking down, and I gave him another water. I think I overwatered him, got him a little drunk. He was tipsy, but now he looks pretty good. He's sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he looks good. So he's up and he was getting a little (laughs) floppy. Okay. So, uh, so when you bring in some of those plants, we already talked about uh, people love hibiscus, and uh, when you bring in hibiscus, expect uh, leaves to drop off and it to go into shock. Does not mean. It's dead if no. a month from now all the leaves are off. Right. Um, there's several plants that tend to do that. So if you try to overwinter elephant deer, mm-hmm. um, especially elephant deer that's been outside all day, you're likely going to have leaves of those drop, die, fall over the pot and never kind of bounce back up. Your hibiscus is is, is always going to do that. Um, many people's ficus, if they have any uh, outside ficus plants, bringing them inside, depending on what it is, whether it's um, a tree ficus or a rubber tree ficus, um, or even if you have a banyan tree type of ficus, you are likely going to have some of its leaves drop. And then one of my favorite plants, which is starting to build up steam, um, and more and more people are, are starting to see that, uh, is called a... A desert rose tree, and I'll have to show you a picture, bring in uh, mine one day so you can see what it looks like. But it's kind of looks like a, a, a little bonsai tree, and those tend to drop their leaves as well. I've spoken to a lot of people at Hair Nursery who bought one that threw it away after it dropped its leaves over winter. And I was like, oh, no, 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 it was just going dormant. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to do. So, yes, don't be surprised if a lot of your leafy plants, not necessarily your succulents or cacti, but your leafy house plants, if you brought them outside, Ooh. when you bring them inside, will drop their leaves. It's not uncommon for people, Schefflera or umbrella trees, to drop some of their leaves as well. So just something to consider. I'm looking at that desert rose. I love that thing. It is, is the picture you have have a picture of the flower? Yes, it's, it's a gorgeous. Red, mm-hmm. a bright red with yep. kind of a lighter white in the middle. Oh yeah. Is the one I'm looking at and it has that tropical trunk to it. Yeah, that really kind of fat rounded. It's called a codex. Yeah. Um and uh and that's kind of this pseudo uh trunk root uh combination so it not only uh does it store nutrients like a root does but it also provides structure for the smaller branches therefore it's also a uh, a trunk but 
uh, not the same. So yeah, that, that structure is called a codex on those. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have another tree that's called a, uh, shaving bush tree, um, or a pseudo bombax, um, that also does the same thing. It has this really interesting, uh, codex to it. So I've, I've started to branch into getting those trees because, uh, it's just kind of a fun way to have something that looks bonsai mm-hmm. without having to do the work of bonsai. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's something I've always been fascinated with, but never been something that I've really officially gotten into. Um, and that's just because it, it, I think there's this, this intimidation factor of, of starting a bonsai plant. Uh, oh, there is. There is. But uh, And we have Mr. Bonsai listening. Right yes, now. yeah, yeah. If he's listening, I'm sure he's he's probably coming up with tips that he could give me. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's anyone who gets really into bonsai always says, oh, it's not as much work as you think it would be. Mm-hmm. But there's still that intimidation factor, I think, getting into bonsai. Well, and, and the thing about getting into bonsai is... Um, uh, being very patient, yes, and watching and looking, uh, and every time you go to cut, don't cut. Just sit back <laughs> and watch a little more, and you know it's because it's a very slow process. Well, it's a type of art, I think. Mm-hmm. Just like anyone who who paints a picture or sculpts something, uh, you, when you look at someone who's really good at it, they make it look easy. But if that's not something that you're used to being able to do, then it just makes it hard. So people who do bonsai, they make it look easy, but that doesn't necessarily no, yeah, it doesn't necessarily yeah. make it an easy thing to do. When you bring in some of your uh, other uh, plants, your succulents, mm-hmm. uh, is there anything you have to do to them? cut them back do whatever no no my succulents i tend to just bring in um and many of them are much more shade tolerant than you would expect them to be Mm -hmm. so i don't worry about putting them in the same kind of light that they were in like i have big bowling ball sized barrel cactus and yeah they're south side when they're outside but when i bring them inside they get whatever window I can put them in because I know they're tolerant of a couple hours of light as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing about many people's cacti and succulents is, especially when they're young, which is mostly what we have, even if you've had a cactus for 12 years, that's a baby cactus. Really? Yeah. What you have, you know, like my bowling ball cactus, that's the size of a bowl or my, my golden barrel cactus is the size of a bowling ball is a baby when you look at ones that could be the size of of a uh, a a munchkin <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. to say like you know they they look like they're the size of a of a small vehicle um when they're outside and so what you have is still a baby and more than likely and those baby plants tend to be hidden around the base of their mother plant that they that they grew off of so they're shaded for parts of those days or a lot of succulents grow under bigger succulents to shield them from the heat and and the sun from all day. So it's okay that many of your succulents end up going in shade over winter because there's a part of them that's probably going to be very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. All right. Just water even less. Water water your cacti and succulents even less than you were watering them before when you bring them inside. They're not going to burn through water nearly as fast as they were. Well, our Steve the plant, uh, which is a snake plant and a succulent, uh, about every two weeks Steve likes to be watered. So we found out because we started it once a week, right? No, once a month. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what I meant. Once yeah. a month. Yeah. And then, and then going um, from once a month. And so that's what I tell people. Start with once a month. If you start noticing the pruniness, which is what you started noticing, 
noticing that kind of right, exactly. floppiness yeah. and, and uh, it was starting to get pruny leaves. That's what you want to look for. And if you start to notice that's happening sooner than that, that month, that, that month time period is coming up, mm-hmm. then yep, upping it to twice, twice a month. But mm-hmm. usually, more often than not, you don't need more than twice a month for something like that, which mm-hmm. is why it's so great. And bringing something inside from outside will be a shock to them. So yes. less water, the better, right? Yes. Yeah. Don't don't assume that just because a, a week after you brought your house plant in and it's showing signs of distress that it's a lack of water. It's probably just adapting to less humidity. There's going to be severely less humidity than there is outside. Mm-hmm. Um, different temperature, especially if you waited until now, which is close to what I've done, to bring your plants in. They've started to adapt to those 50s and 40s lows, and now you're going to bring them into an environment that's consistently somewhere between 65 and 75. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more arid, um, uh, consistent temperature, and not the same kind of photosynthetic material for them. So you're going to have some issues with your plant. Just talk to them, keep complimenting them, walk by your plant, tell them that pot looks amazing on their roots. Uh-huh. Is that a new haircut? Whatever you can. Uh, so compliments go a long ways when you're bringing well, your plants in. Well, just do what uh, the Kelch family does. Just look at them and go, you're doing great. <laughs> So, yep. Each individual yes, one. Yeah, you yeah, walk yeah. up. You're doing yes. great. That's You're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are the best herbs to overwinter? Can you uh, yeah. overwinter most? Oh, yeah, many of the herbs. So um, you're not going to get the same sort of yield, of course, unless you have a grow light. You know, mm-hmm. put them in a sunny window and put a grow light over the top of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of your herbs, absolutely. So uh, especially uh, ones with, so your rosemary can overwinter pretty decently. Um, ones with kind of woodier stems. So rosemary. Basil. Uh, sage. Basil can do okay. Mm-hmm. Um it, you're never going to get that same kind of leaf. More than likely, your basil is probably going to develop smaller leaves mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. Still flavorful and easy to pluck off if you want to use for fresh cooking. But it's not going. It's going to be very difficult to get that same kind of basil plant that you had outside, which is giant. Yes, with big, yeah. huge leaves. Now, um, when I bring it in, what I could do is cut them all in half, take those leaves, let them dry naturally in a bowl, and then I've got dried basil, right? Absolutely, I mean, right. and still fresh dried basil. You know the time stamp right. um, on that basil. And then maybe cut those back a little bit. How big of a pot do I put them in? So I, I think for overwintering inside, uh, you don't necessarily need something more than a six-inch container. Okay. Um, now, if you already have them in a bigger container, maybe an eight-inch pot or so, I don't recommend digging them out and transplanting them. That's going to be way too stressful. Buying a, a, a big container. A, uh, like a long box? Yeah, long box. Yep. Is there a way for you to put that long box on a shelf in your, in no, your kitchen? No, because it, it's, it's a three-foot long box that sits outside, very heavy. So I'm going to have to dig out the basil. I see. I and see. Does that make it tough uh, for to overwinter if you actually have to dig them out? And put no, them in? no. I think in your situation, uh, digging it out and then putting it in another container, sprinkle a little bit of fertilizer in there. Okay. Um, do you have? Uh, do you still have some of that holly tone or wasn't yes. there one of those fertilizers? Root stimulator. Yeah, yeah. Use the root stem. Yeah. Um, that would be perfect. So just a little bit uh, of that just to help it acclimate. Mm-hmm. So if you have to. 
I think that'll be okay. Then on warmer days, maybe get it out while it's still in the container yes. to get some sun and build those roots, correct? Yes. What other herbs do you have in that container? Oh, I've got rosemary. That'll overwinter. I've got oregano. That'll overwinter. Uh, the chives I just keep in, cut them back and keep in. Yeah, the those chives. Those got away from me. They flowered quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't stress about my chives. Those are in the same spot that they that they were in when I planted yeah. them outside. Yeah. Uh, just uh, just a, a, a wider spot. Every year right. that spot gets wider. <laughs> So it's rosemary, basil, um, oregano, and sage. Sage, yeah. I know sage does really well inside. Um, oregano does pretty well, but same thing as basil. Oregano already has really small leaves. Right. And I tend to notice that it even develops smaller <laughs> leaves yeah. when it's inside. So in my personal experience, I find oregano, overwintered oregano, um, hard to... Uh, to harvest, mm -hmm. but it's still a fun experiment to get it to overwinter. Basil, you will probably basil and rosemary of the herbs that you have, um, and the sage. I think would be the ones that you would still be able to more regularly harvest mm -hmm. uh, inside. Now, um, obviously, a sunny spot though, any one I can find, right? The sunniest spot that you could find, yes, yeah, because yeah, they like a lot of at least four, five, six hours. I think they get about five, six hours now. That's all they get, but they yeah. do very well. So, so as as long as you could try to mimic that to the best of your ability inside, mm -hmm. or even put them if you can, you know, a lot of people's kitchen windows uh, face the east or west sometimes. Um, so if you have one of those kitchen windows and you can do that, and then maybe the light above your kitchen sink, leave that on mm -hmm. several hours a day. Does fluorescence work okay? Fluorescence would be okay. Yeah, um, LEDs I think are. Uh, LEDs would be better if you could. Okay. Um, you're going to get more, especially if you, uh, LEDs have a white light, so they have a little bit of all the colors mixed into it. Mm -hmm. So that plant is still getting red and blue light from an LED while at a lesser capacity than it is outside. Mm -hmm. It's still getting that red and blue light that it needs to survive. I have a little desk area and it has a light. Uh, uh, it's a fluorescent light, those long, uh, shorter tubes, but I mm -hmm. can get those in LEDs and they could sit there all night under that, right? Bam. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right. Uh, you're listening to, uh, Green Thumb from Hair Nursery, Dan Diorio, along with Ethan Wise as we're winding down, uh, the end of the season. Gardens right now. I mean, uh, if you have cool weather plants, we talked about this, uh, cabbage, kale, mm -hmm. salads, they can uh, hold up till even below freezing if you cover them, correct? Right, right. As long as you don't let frost develop on the foliage, you can keep your, your coal crops uh, going pretty well. Because uh, it's it's the dew that gets on them, right? Yep, yep. It's just, it's the frozen water molecule that'll start to disintegrate and melt and make that mushy leaf. How do you know when to, uh, if you're a beginner, if you've uh, planted your uh, uh, fall lettuce and mm -hmm. kale and spinach, when do you know to get them in? Well, um, I guess you're, you're going to kind of have to go by just the size of the plants. Mm -hmm. um, with the lettuce, many types of lettuce, you can even harvest those at a young age. It's really cabbage mm -hmm. um, that gets that nice rounded or kohlrabi that gets that nice kind of rounded sphere. You need to make sure that that is developed long enough, but you kind of can pull back some of the leaves and kind of take a look at some of the outer leaves. Mm -hmm. If they look like you'd want to eat them, it's ready to be eaten. Okay. Um, what about, are you still... Uh, harvesting tomatoes? I still do have tomatoes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, the tomatoes that I, I'm starting to notice that there are more and more of those pruny ones, so it is starting to get a little bit cold. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the ones that were ready to be plucked are not lasting on the vine as long, and that's in part because of the cold weather. 
but I do still have some developing. I see some green ones on there. I'm curious if I'm going to see those change color uh, before I care. <laughs> That's yeah. That's like, I was like, are you going to turn color before... I want to do anything with that tomato. Um, so that's what I'm curious about. But I do still have uh, a good harvest that I need to pluck off uh, here soon. Uh, in fact, if I do, if I, uh, if I'm really uh, practicing what I preach, I would do it after this show. <laughs> so yeah. I would go home and do it now. Uh, if you have uh, tomatoes that haven't turned, you could take them off. And what is your recommendation? Put, put them, them in, in a paper bag. Yep. Yep. Put them in a paper bag. The gases kind of make it turn. Yep. You. You can even do. You can even. You could put an onion in there. You could put a banana in the paper bag with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the the chemical release by the onion can help stimulate other uh, uh, other vegetables into ripening, and also a banana can as well. And for different reasons, um, the banana does it because uh, bananas. By the time you pick up pick them from the store, and you bring them home. They're already browner. They're just, they're ready to start to decompose. The gases are coming out. Exactly. And so those release gases help, uh, you know, other vegetables turn. And make sure your onions don't have salmonella. Yes, I was going to say, maybe (laughs) onions aren't the right vegetable to be picking right now. Unless you know where they came from. Right. Let's uh, turn our attention to trees. Um, now is the time, now even through winter is the time to start seriously pruning trees. We've never really talked on good tree pruning. Right, and and the reason why we, we tend not to is because our show really only is from March to October. And the best pruning times tend to take place between November and February. So we're just missing that. So I wanted to make sure that that some time was given to at least informing people on what to do in the next month or two. So one thing right now, as I'm looking outside over the beautiful uh, river here from the studio is there's still a lot of green trees out there. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to do any serious pruning while your tree is still green. Wait until enjoy the fall color, wait for those leaves to drop. And that's when you can start doing serious pruning on most of your plants. Um, whether it's a maple tree, uh, an elm tree, uh, a birch, oak, uh, crab apple, cherry tree, doesn't really matter. Ivory silk, lilac tree. That's when you want to do your most pruning on a tree. Now, certain shrubs, you don't want to. So I want to clarify with certain hydrangeas, uh, certain spring blooming plants like Wygela, Forsythia, Lilac. You don't necessarily want to prune those now or in the next couple of months. If you, Not that you're necessarily going to hurt them, but if you do prune those particular plants, you're not going to get flowers next season or you're going to have severely really? reduced flower count on oh, them. Oh, I didn't. So I got my big hydrangea. Now, your hydrangea, um, yours is a smooth hydrangea, an Annabelle. Mm -hmm. That blooms on old and new wood. And so that one's pretty forgiving um, if you want to prune that. So anyone listening, if you have a smooth hydrangea, um, so Invincible, Annabelle, Incredible, uh, those are all hydrangeas that you can prune now. If you also have a hydrangea like a panicled hydrangea, those are your quick fire hydrangeas, uh, limelight or little lime, bobo, uh, if any of those pinky winky, if any of those are ringing a bell. Pinky winky? Pinky winky. You you can prune those now. And pinky winky, by the way, that name is very discerning because uh, it, it gets eight to ten feet tall. Oh, okay. it's, it's You think that a name it's like pinky, pinky winky would stay winky. smaller. Yeah. 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 I'm pinky winky. Yeah. Um, but, uh, 
Anyway, so if you have a panicled hydrangea, you can prune that now as well, but I think you might as well wait until spring um, for that particular shrub. Many shrubs that you would consider pruning in fall or winter, you can wait until early spring to do. Um, and that's kind of considered a revitalization prune. So something to consider. Your spirea, you can wait to prune until you can prune now, or you could wait to prune until next spring. You can cut those suckers, you know, six inches, eight inches above the ground. Um, so there's there's lots of kind of pruning that you can do, but not necessarily have to do right now. But with trees, wait until the leaves drop, especially your deciduous trees. So going back, I'd listed maple, oak, elm, uh birch trees, uh, ornamental cherry trees, ornamental crab apples, all of those trees, even if you have an orchard, even your fruiting varieties of trees, wait until the leaves have dropped before you consider doing serious pruning. And how you decide to do your pruning um, or what you want to prune should really focus on the form of that tree and also the safety of that tree remove branches that are crossing each other so your branch so kind of um i'm, I'm giving uh dan a, a a hand diagram here in the studio but anyone close your eyes and if you're not driving and imagine what i'm saying so you have your tree and so there's your trunk and then everything grows away from that trunk grows outward and and that's what you really want in a healthy tree or for those branches to grow outside uh, and away from the central leader um, or that trunk, anything that starts to grow outward um, and grows to the left and to the right of that trunk uh, is healthy. But then you will get branches on some of those that then start to cross back um, and you start to get these cross branches that go back across the main um, portion of the tree. And you want to remove those because what's going to happen is if those mature, they're going to now cause a hazard issue inside that tree. They're going to disrupt the growth of that tree. Um, and they're possibly going to start rubbing against other branches as those branches mature and get bigger. So you want to prevent any cross branching. And, and, and then after that, if you already notice cross branching, you want to remove anything that's already rubbing and touching each other. You don't want those branches to continue to rub, eventually grow into each other to the best of your ability, because what that's going to develop is an open wound. And if those branches constantly rub across each other, they're always creating that open wound. That wound is never healing. Just like us, a stagnant open wound would cause an infection. You run into that possibility with the tree as well. And is it from insects that you get that infection? Uh, you can. It could be a fungal infection. It could be insects, um, bacteria, viral there's a whole slew of things that could get in when that bark and that cambium layer uh, is ex when the bark is removed and that cambium layer or the area beneath the cambium layer is exposed. That's really tender plant material. It's also full of nutrients. So fungi would love to munch on that and insects would love to munch on that. And sometimes fungi or bacteria is on the insect that then transfers from the insect to the open wound. Um, uh, I have an old ash tree in front, and English ivy crawls up it. Mm -hmm. Is that ever a threat to a tree? Nope, nope. That's just a nice little symbiotic relationship. The mm -hmm. ivy's not really 
siphoning anything from that tree. It just likes the structure. It's mm-hmm. just incapable of, of, of creating its own trunk, but it likes to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just a it's happy a good little... good look. Yeah, it looks really good. I don't let really it get good. too big. But, I gotta yeah. say, you have one of the nicest ash trees, I think, left in Peoria. Yeah. I, I mean, that just blows my mind that it looks as good as it does. Well, it, I do it every two years, and I know first thing in spring, I'm gonna have another injection. Yep. Um, and so that's the thing, you know, you'll, you'll, we've talked about systemic fertilizers, mm-hmm. something that you can water your tree with. Mm-hmm. And as five years ago, if we were talking about this, I probably would be recommending a certain product, you know, something that I had been spoken to about by a rep mm-hmm. of, of one of those systemic fertilizers. Now, I think the only thing really that you can do if you really want to preserve your ash tree is, are the injections, but as you know, it's something you're going to have to continue to oh. do. You're never going to be able to like, okay, you've had five injections, your tree's safe now. No, it's, it, it's the sense some of, are yearly and some are bi- uh, every other year, right? Yes, yeah, and it depends on who your arborist is and what exactly they're able to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've spoken to both people. I've spoken to people who do yearly injections. I've spoken to people who do buy or to do every other year injections. They both seem to be happy with it. You know, it's. When you have an ash tree, especially the size of yours, I mean, my gosh, I mean, it would take, what, three grown men to yeah. wrap their arms around the, the trunk of that tree or maybe yeah. maybe two of us. Right. Um, when you think about removing a tree like that, it's so, so costly. Oh. And now you lose all of that shade. Mm-hmm. And then you can't plant a tree in that same spot again. Yeah. You, so that that spot where the ash tree was, and I know I'm talking to so many people listening, have already had to remove their tree and dealt with that. You can't just, even if you have your your trunk ground out, you can't plant there necessarily, especially when you removed a tree that size. Yeah. Hmm. So I just got to keep at it. Yeah. And, and luckily, uh, in talking to the arborist, when they do give the injection, they go, it takes it up right away, which is a good sign. That is a good sign. If it took it up slow, that means it could already be kind of uh, the the uh, the cells, the tree's blood vessels could already be kind mm-hmm. of squeezing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 They yeah. could just be kind of already starting to kind of dry up. Um, so, yeah, yours is, I, it just blows my mind. I hate to lose that tree. Oh my gosh, it would be a nightmare. Yeah, uh, would. That would. I mean, unless you knew about it. And plus, you know, uh, there's a constant stream. So anyone in the industry of tree removal uh-huh. uh, is probably already got half of next year booked yeah. uh, already. I mean, with is it hit tre- pretty bad the ash trees? Oh yeah. Oh, I, I'd say yeah, ninety plus percent of them. Wow. Yeah, gone. Um, or or n- not to be able to be recovered. And so I'm. My theory is, and, and uh, I shouldn't say my theory because I'm sure part of this is developed from reading articles on it, um, but just like the elm tree, I do think eventually there are certain ashes that are just going to develop a natural immunity to it. Now, yep. n- unlike Dutch elm, which was a disease, mm-hmm. the ash is dying from an insect, right. um, but I am hopeful that that insect uh, because it seems to only really be feeding the ash borer only feeds on ash trees mm-hmm. and eventually it's going to eat its food and I was going to say they're going to run out of trees they're going to run out move, of trees right? yeah and there's a massive population of those and so there are inevitably going to be ash trees that they miss mm-hmm. and will be unable to get back to because they're too how do they travel those ash they ones? they fly 
Do they? Okay. Oh yeah, they got pretty powerful little rings. They're you know they're they're little tiny insects, maybe a centimeter, centimeter and a half at most. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're powerful flyers. How can you tell if it's starting? But it's still savable, but starting to you know be infected. So two things I look for. One is a section of the tree that has started to just inexplicably lose its foliage mm-hmm. uh, outside of the norm of the rest of the tree. Mm-hmm. If you're just noticing one section of it. And the other thing that I look for is when you start noticing suckering branches grow out of the trunk of the tree. Out of the what, trunk? Out of the trunk I of the tree. I get them on my branches. So yeah. you might get them on your branches. Um, and now if that branch was struggling uh-huh. and you were noticing suckers growing straight up out of that, yeah. that would also be a worrisome sign for me. Okay. Um, but the branches that are healthy that also sucker, mm-hmm. that's normal. That happens yeah. in, in, in lots of trees. Um, so a section of the tree that starts to weirdly defoliate or be thin. Same with maples. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you'll notice that. Now, with many maples that tend to do that, there's a, a fungal infection that's in the ground mm-hmm. called verticillium wilt that'll cause that, where you just inexplicably, nothing's changed. Everything was going fine, business as usual with your maple tree. But then all of a sudden, one season, you notice there's a third of your maple tree that's just looks really weird, doesn't look right. That sometimes is a sign of verticillium. Mm-hmm. Um, and also sometimes with maples, it could be a nutritional deficiency too, right? There can be. Um, so if it's right at the top of the tree, like right at the top of that maple tree, a lot of times it's either not getting enough water or there's not enough nutrients in the soil that can be transferred usually. And also a water issue, um, that can't be transferred all the way to the top of that tree. So you need to better water that tree, give it a fertilizer to help it push everything to the top of that tree, especially a 40, 50 foot tall tree. When we start to uh, cut away at our trees, do some mm-hmm. serious pruning, uh, obviously sharp blade. Yes. Is that, is clean and clean blade. You clean don't want your rust, chains, right? Nope. Um, I have the hand one. Yeah, right. nice. Yeah. Uh but if you can uh spray it with uh rubbing alcohol or uh hydrogen peroxide or a 10% bleach solution with After water. After each cut? Uh or at least a couple times? It, I I'd say if you're just pruning one tree or plant that you know isn't diseased or you mm-hmm. don't believe is diseased, I wouldn't stress about pruning in between. If you are concerned that the tree that you are pruning is diseased or you are cutting out a limb that looks diseased, I highly recommend sanitizing your blade in between each cut. Um, But uh, yes, a clean blade. And like I said, uh, with my pruners, all I do is I just have like a little bottle, uh, 10%. uh, I think mine's probably less than that. Bleach to water, spritz the blade, cut, spritz the blade, cut. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's uh, much more pain in the butt when you're doing a tree. Yeah. To the best of your ability, if you can just um, spritz down your chainsaw blade um, with something that's not going to rust your chainsaw blade, that's even more dangerous. Um, So 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 rust is bad. Rust is bad, um, but not as bad as, uh, in my opinion, as spreading a disease from one limb to the other. Okay, so when we cut, let's say, I have a maple. It's it's a uh, purple, deep, deep, rich purple maple a leaf that's kind of ragged. You sure. You know what I'm talking about? And I want to get, and, it, and it's down to the point where I can't get underneath with my lawnmower. So there's a lot of branches I want to cut in there. 
Uh, how far away from the trunk do I go? If you can bring that branch right, so there's this area called the branch, the the branch ring or the branch bark ridge. Um, uh, it's this little ridge uh, from right where the trunk sits. Uh, there's this little material of uh, of of bark right before it develops into the actual branch. And you want to bring that branch right back to that. And and uh, the best thing to do is to look up a diagram. Um, just, you know, go to Morton Arboretum or Missouri Botanical or an EDU site of, of some school, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, U of I, um, something like that that has a renowned horticulture department. And they will likely have some sort of pamphlet. But, yes, you want to bring that branch as close to the trunk as possible without going past that little ridge that I'm talking about. And that allows the tree to naturally heal over itself. Yeah, people used to say put a tar on it, but the, but that that's old school, right? You don't have to do that anymore. Um, it's in a way it inhibits the tree's natural healing process. Yeah. yeah. All right. So next week on our final show, gardening indoors. Yep. You're and gonna bring in a whole list of. Uh, and I'll probably bring some plants in. We'll do a little work here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, because you know in the winter it's nice to have house plants. Yeah. Around. You know people at work are more productive when they have houseplants around. Mm-hmm. And if you have houseplants at home and you're wanting, they're not fitting in the house, bring them to your office. Yeah. That way yeah. you can have uh, some company there. Yeah, yeah, bring them in. Uh, and like I, like I do, give them away as gifts. If you, uh, <laughs> you know, I end up having to triage my plants. I'm like, I think I like you a little bit more than you. Uh, and then someone <laughs> gets the, the, the latter. All right, for Ethan Wise, I'm Dan DiOrio. Tune in next week for the last and final episode of the season Mm -hmm. of Green Thumb from Hair Nursery.